Let's pray. Lord Almighty, we thank You for this opportunity to come to You again. Lord, there are many things that would distract us. Things that are sinful. Things that are not. Things that are just on our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, I pray that right now You would cause Your Word to penetrate our hearts so that we would be the men and women of God You created us to be. Let us hear You through Your Word this evening. In Jesus' name, Amen. The truth is a hard commodity to find in the best of times. At other times, you have to dig for it like buried treasure. In fact, so hard is it to find, Pontius Pilate famously asked, what is truth? Ironically, with truth himself standing right in front of him. Now, I would love to take time to talk about the radical denial of truth that we are facing in our culture today in every corner of society. However, we have a long chapter to get through in Matthew 26 as we are wrapping Matthew up quickly. So I want to speak directly to one area of truth that is almost universally denied. Denied even within the church. I want us to see this and how Jesus equips us in this battle for the truth as we prepare for Pentecost. The painful, awful, terrible truth that is so universally denied is you are a sinner. You are by nature, by nurture, and by choice one who is bent towards rebellion against the loving God. Howls of derision will accompany this thought as you speak it anywhere outside the church walls. And unfortunately, those silent snickers of derision happen, unfortunately, all too often within. But... Once accepted, once understood that we are in fact sinners, it helps us to see the world as it is. Our experience of the world as it actually is becomes understandable. Even expected. Why does the person who drinks too much so vociferously deny his problem? Why does the woman who is constantly seeking love in all the wrong places deny that any of her bad relationships are her fault? Why does the man who is continually looking at pixels on a screen deny that the problem in his relationship with his wife is his? We have already proven to ourselves that these things won't satisfy and they always lead to a dungeon of greater depths of anxiety and depression and fearfulness. But we deny that the problem is our own. The answer to all these questions is S-I-N. And the sin that is within my own heart. No matter how loudly we protest, no matter how violently 
we kick and scream, no matter how self-justified we pretend to be, you and I and every other mother's child is one who willingly embraces the arsenic of our own flavor of sin. And that, my friend, is why you and I must prepare for the Passover. Tonight, we are going to see what Jesus does to prepare His friends. And we are going to see how He counsels those around Him to do the same. And all the while, we will see how we fail to do so. Because the bottom of line in this is we need to know the truth and live accordingly. Let's open up Matthew chapter 26. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, He said to His disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. <clears throat> what sayings? What is, what is Jesus talking about? Well, remember, we have been going through Matthew and Matthew has several big divisions within his book. And the last big division that we just finished was started in Matthew 23, right before he got into what's famously called the Olivet Discourse in chapter 23. He's being accosted and he's finally directly attacked. And so Jesus responds by saying, listen guys, if you aren't going to wake up, judgment is coming. And he explains what that judgment is going to look like in Matthews 24 and 25. The people who should have carried Jesus on their shoulders through Jerusalem, the temple leaders, the people who should have known better, are being warned one last time. But the warning is past. Jesus is now preparing for the Passover. And He knows what's in store. Verse 3, the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now the chief priests were also preparing for the Passover. Yes, yes, they had their servants doing all the necessary bread and meat and all the different things that were going on. But they were preparing for the Passover in a way they didn't know that they were. They wanted to stick Jesus up on a tree and make Him an example. Don't mess with us. But they wanted to be sneaky about it because they didn't want to get themselves in trouble. So we see now how a woman prepared for the Passover. Verse 6, Now when Jesus was at Bethany, as a town not far from Jerusalem. In the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus was aware of this and said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring the ointment on my body, she has, done, she has prepared me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 
what we see here is in the midst of cosmic reality, Jesus coming and being prepared to die for our sins, in view of the government, the at least religious government, preparing for Passover and murdering Jesus, we have this story. don't know who this woman is. She's just a person who obviously fell in love with Jesus. And she wants to do a good thing for Him. And we, we learn something about preparing for Passover, preparing for Easter. Number one, Jesus is willing to break from His busy, stressful schedule to come to the aid of a woman that everybody else calls a sinner. Now, it's really easy to look down your long nose at someone else's sin, isn't it? Jesus had no time for that. Jesus was much more interested instead of looking down His nose at her, welcoming her, and taking time out from His busy, stressful time and loving this woman who was in front of Him. But the second thing we learn is our ability to rationalize our sin. In this case, the our sin is our prejudice. It's always easier to point your finger at someone else because we don't want everybody else to see my sin. But part of the point of preparing for the Passover, preparing for Easter that is very soon to come, is that I check my prejudices. You and I must look at ourselves to see if we practice our righteousness We do things so other people will respect us in a way that is ultimately destructive to our soul and those that we wish to serve. You could have sold that and you could have given it to Good Samaritan or Central Coast Rescue Mission. You you could have done that to help. Yeah, you're, you're just rationalizing. Because if I give my money to Central Coast Rescue Mission, then I don't have to show up there and help out on Monday night. If I give my money to serve Santa Maria, then I don't have to go out there and sweat that Saturday morning. Or, we prepare for Easter by being the kind of people, instead of looking down on those, in this case the poor, but there are many other categories of people we could talk about, instead of looking down on the poor, giving them a hand up. We need to know the truth. And we need to live accordingly. And the the sin identified here is this idea of prejudice. Now, maybe that's not your flavor of sin. Maybe you have some other flavor of sin. But know the truth. Know your sin. And know how to take it to your Lord and say, Lord, help me with this. Prepare for Easter. Prepare for the Passover. In this case, when I am paying attention, my solution to the problem in this verse is simply keeping my mouth shut. Because <laughs> boy, when I keep my mouth shut, people think I'm a fool. But when I open my mouth, shut, open my mouth I remove all doubt. Matthew continues, verse 14, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, 
went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. What's 30 pieces of silver worth? I don't know. I don't know. It might be 30 bucks. It might be 3,000. I don't know. The point is, though, that he took money to betray Jesus. Now, what is, what is that all about? What, what do you mean, betray him? Well, we need to speculate a little bit here. And I very could easily be wrong because there's at least five big theories on what Judas was doing here. It appears, in my mind, that his idea was to make a little bit of profit because he saw the writing on the wall. He saw, he understood that Jesus' little rebellion was coming to an end and it wasn't going to work. So he figured, stuff as much cash in his pocket and get out of Dodge before all this bad stuff happens and he'll be okay. Plus, if he gets on the good side of the ruling leaders, that can't hurt in the end either. But of course, we know that that's not the truth. We know that that's not what was going on. Instead of trying to line our pockets with silver, we need to know the truth. And a little money is nothing when compared to the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And can give us jobs and can take them away. But the Passover finally came. Verse 17 Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. In the other Gospels, they give a little bit more details. And it's very clear that Jesus is making a prophecy to what's going on here. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. Now, Nice little bit, what's going on? Jesus makes a prophecy. Prophecy comes true. Wow, he he had that all figured out. That's pretty cool. And we should recognize that. As we prepare for our Passover in a few weeks, we should recognize, wait, Jesus has got this all figured out. I don't need to be afraid of the future because I know who holds the future. Jesus knows what's going to happen. I don't need to be afraid. But he continues, verse 20, When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Again, here comes the prophecy. And they were very sorrowful. They began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? Time out for a second. Have you failed the Lord? Have you knowingly spat in His face? Betrayed Him? Not stood up when you should to be counted? I have. Wow. I guess you guys should be preaching because you guys haven't. Man, next week. That, that's what they were thinking. Lord, me? Me? Is it me? Oh, Lord, save me. Is it I, Lord? He answered, It is he who has dipped his hand in the dish will betray me. What does that mean? 
Someone who is so close to me that he's eaten a meal with me. That he's eaten with me and shared our bread together. That person who is so close, we've sat together and we can reach the same vinegar bowl with our bread. Jesus wasn't betrayed by a stranger. And then he continues, the Son of Man goes as it was written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man had he not been born. Judas who would betray him answered, is it I, Rabbi? I wish I knew how he said that. What was the tone in his voice when he said that? And Jesus said, you have said so. It's a clear yes that someone sitting around the table wouldn't have heard as yes. But what does it mean, betray him? It means that Judas, we know with hindsight it was him, would find a convenient time and place to hand Jesus over to the authorities so there would be as little hubbub as possible. Remember, they want to do it secretly so all of Jerusalem doesn't get in an uproar against the religious leaders because they're murdering this prophet who's been going around healing people for three years. But it would not be a spy who would follow Jesus' movements and go and report. It would be someone who eats with Him. Jesus' betrayer was someone who was close enough to share a bowl at dinner. That's brutal. And as Pastor Benji quoted Pastor James today, it's amazing how often our our minds are on the same track. I was planning on quoting Pastor James as well. The Bible is boring because you're not reading it right, is what Pastor James always says. And if you read this and take a time to think how awful it was what Judas did. Oh, Judas, yeah, we've, we've been hearing bad stuff about Judas for all our lives. No! He betrayed the man he had witnessed touching a leper and healing a leper. He betrayed a man who gave him a loaf of bread. He betrayed a man that he had slept in the same area with for years. Judas knew it. And Jesus knew it. We learn in the book of John, at this point Judas leaves. Judas bails. I, I think he realizes, oh my goodness. And John tells us that Satan entered into him and beat it out of him. He left. He's gone. And that is when Jesus prepares his followers for the Passover. This is when Jesus prepares you and me for Easter. Verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after, he, after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat, this is My body. And He took the cup and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
You and I look back on Christ's crucifixion when we take the Lord's Supper. But here, Jesus is preparing His followers for that crucifixion. He's explaining the meaning of it. In Matthew's version, that meaning is summarized in the statement that I will come again. I will come again and eat with you. That, my friend, is a truth worth knowing. As you prepare for Easter, as we see Jesus preparing His disciples for the Passover, know that the emphasis Jesus is giving us is on the fact that He is going to come again and He is going to eat that meal with us. Now, just take a moment. Maybe tonight while you're getting ready for bed and think about all the things that are necessarily involved with that. Necessarily involved with Jesus dying on the cross, being buried, being raised again, coming back, and then eating a meal with us. And eating a meal with all of the Bible-believing, Christ-honoring people for the last 2,000 years. They're going to be raised themselves from the dead, and they're going to be given glorified bodies so that they can eat. And then think about that. Oh my goodness. I think it's going to be that really good Russian rye bread that we eat together. Oh man, it's so dense and it gives you that really great rye taste. That's what the bread is going to be when we get there. Maybe for you it'll be that wimpy sourdough stuff, but whatever. You know, it's going to be really good. And, and just thinking about that, blow your mind. You're thinking about, oh, and Jesus knows this. And He is anticipating this. And maybe for that split second, He was thinking to Himself as He's eating this bread, yeah, I'm going to be eating it with Sandy. This bread, real soon. I'm going to be eating it with Sharon. And it's going to be in the new kingdom. And your bodies aren't going to be worn out anymore. Your appetite is going to be there because it's going to be that real Russian rye bread. If you don't like it right now, you'll be forgiven. It's okay. You'll have renewed bodies. There won't be any mayonnaise anywhere for a million miles. And you will know the truth. As you take the Lord's Supper, know the truth of your salvation because the Passover because of what Jesus did. You who trust the promises of God for you in Christ will eat bread and drink wine with the King of Kings and the President of Presidents. And that day is coming. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of Me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny Me three times. 
And Peter said, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. you got to love Peter. I mean, you know, he is such a great guy. We, I think, sometimes give him a hard time because we see him stick his foot in his mouth. But what he says here is indeed brave. Now, it's not going to prove true in a matter of a few hours, but he wants to stand up for his king. But Jesus knows that if his friends are going to be prepared for the Passover, they need to be ready for failure. If you are going to walk the Christian life, you need to be prepared for the fact that you are going to fail your Lord. You need to be ready for that because, among other reasons, you need to understand that you cannot save yourself. You need a Savior. Even after all these years of walking with Christ, you still find yourself in need of a Savior. And remember, the original Passover was followed by 1,500 years of failure. And now, the failure of Jesus' friends for the last 2,000 years doesn't surprise us either. And Jesus knows if you are going to be prepared for Easter in a couple of weeks, you need to understand that Easter... It's all about the glory of God. And that glory of God, in part, is satisfied because you are declared righteous. Therefore, know the truth and live accordingly. Speaking of failure, verse 36, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and He said to His disciples, Sit here while... I go over there and pray. And talking with them, um, I'm sorry, and talking, taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell down on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, emphasizing the failure that is happening here. Passover in the sacrifice that happened in the Exodus was all about trusting the promise of God to avert His wrath from His people. And the Passover as it is celebrated by Jesus on this night is all about being the one who ultimately averts the wrath of God for His people. My friends, as you prepare over these next weeks, meditate on the story. Go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read over and over again what is going on here so that your heart can be ready for the time that we celebrate the death of our Lord, 
and His resurrection. And we will be able to say with all those who have walked before us, praise Jesus. Know the truth and live accordingly. Let's pray. Lord Almighty, thank You for giving us this opportunity to hear Your Word and to be changed by it. Give us grace this evening, Lord, so that we know Your work in us and through us for Your glory, for our joy, and for the growth of Your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for coming.